Bibles briefly. I promise I, promise I shouldn't do this because as soon as I promise, I'll break the promise. But short, okay? Short tonight. But open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In this chapter are some incredible thoughts, and we're not going to mine it deeply tonight. I just want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Paul, of course, writing to the Corinthian ch uh, church, and he's, uh, he's, he says to them, do, you, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? And then he says, you are our epistles. Your life is an epistle. <laughs> Whether you're conscious of it or not, somebody's watching you. And your life is speaking to them. And, uh, and then he, one of my favorite verses is verse 6. And this is not written just to people in pulpit ministry. But notice what he says in verse 6. Who also made us, speaking of Christ, also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If you're a believer tonight, the Holy Spirit is making you sufficient. He's equipping you to do what he wants you to do in your life. And then I'd like to just, I'm skipping a lot of stuff, but I'd like to just pick up the last verse of this chapter. He talks about, let me, let me back up for just a minute. I'm not going to read it all, but he talks about the glory of the old covenant and how that glory cannot be compared with the glory of the new covenant. The first time I saw that and thought about it, I thought, wow, I've never seen a mountain shake in the presence of God. Maybe you have, but I haven't. I've never seen a, a crowd of people turn and run away from God's presence and say to their leader, you speak to God, we don't want him to talk to us anymore. That's the glory of the old covenant. On Mount Sinai, God's presence was so strong there that the mountain shook and the people ran away from his presence and said to Moses, you talk to God and let him tell us what, you tell us what God's saying. That had to be an awesome experience. But Paul says that that glory doesn't compare with the glory of the new covenant. Spend a little time thinking about that. He's not talking here about phenomena or emotional demonstration. He's talking about the glory that is the power of a changed life. All the presence of God on Mount Sinai, that awesome expression of presence did not necessarily change lives. But wherever Christ comes into a life, it's changed and it is being changed. And he talks about Moses and the veil, of course. And then in verse, in verse 18, he says, And we all, all the believers, anybody who knows Christ, we all with unveiled face, isn't that a beautiful thought? Without anything covering us, without anything distorting, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being changed or transformed into the same image 
what image? The image of Christ. Being changed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Father, thank you for your presence with us this evening. Guide our thoughts for just a few moments in this part of this service, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't remember the name of the game, but I suspect, uh, maybe the children don't do this anymore, but I suspect the rest of us used to play a game when we were children. You'd line up, you'd sit next to each other and line up, maybe six or eight or ten children, and the first person would whisper something in the next person's ear, and the next, that person would whisper that in the next, what, what's the name of the game? Telephone. Telephone. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I, I don't know that I ever knew that, but thank you. That helps me. Did it always come out the same on the end? Did it ever come out the same on the end? <laughs> Usually, <laughs> the message was completely different down here than it was up here. Well, thank God he, trans he transmits communication better <laughs> than uh, from one ear to the next. <laughs> but all of us, are called, Paul repeats this thought throughout his writings. He calls us to be imitators, to see Christ, to hear him, and then allow the translation of that message through us to mark who we are and then to influence others, to imitate him. At first, that doesn't seem to be too difficult a thing to do, just to imitate someone else. Some people are gifted at that. Some of us are glad others aren't gifted at it because they'd be making fun of the way we walk or talk or something. But as a believer, we're called to that, to imitate Christ, to model him, to see him in the beauty of his example and uh, to live in the reality of his influence in our lives. Just three thoughts tonight, and I'm going to just touch on them briefly, and then we'll go home and prepare for tomorrow. But the first one is, if I'm going to imitate Christ, then I, then I must come to an understanding that, that I surrender my selfishness to his will. It's not my will anymore. It's his will. He emptied himself. Christ, the theologians say it this way, he emptied himself of his rule. He refused to cling to the prerogatives of his divinity. He laid aside status and privilege and came among us. He was God. He was man. But he laid aside the glory of what had been. Philippians said it this way, Do nothing in selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interest, but on the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself. Just think about it. Every time, every time I think about the incarnation, it overwhelms me. How can God 
condescend to become man and participate with us. We hear it all the time, so it's common to us, but stop and spend a day contemplating God taking on flesh. He humbled himself. He, if you will, he modeled for us humility, took the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of man. If I, am to, if, I am to, if I am to follow Christ as I ought to, I must surrender myself to him and let him become preeminent in my life. Now, at first, when you first hear that, it's, it can be threatening. You mean I have to, have to give up what I want? What about the gifts he may have given me? Are, are those of no value? But if you really know him, if you truly know him, that wouldn't be much of a struggle. Because he wants your will so he can do with your life what he's already equipped you to do with your life. You know, back in the dark ages when I was a child, the, the, the ultimate was that if you... If you surrendered yourself, you had to go to Africa. <laughs> I don't know why it was always Africa, but it seemed to always be Africa, dark Africa. I remember dark Africa. <laughs> I've been in Africa. It's not dark. <laughs> the sun shines as bright there as it does here. Beautiful. <laughs> Listen, if you're wrestling with surrendering to Christ tonight, I want to tell you a little secret. He wants your all so he can give you all he wants to give you. And your life can be all filled with the richness of his presence. Hmm. You see, there's no, place, there's no place for our arrogance or our selfishness or our aggrandizement. It's what does Christ want. Melvin, I... Uh, have spent our entire married life, almost our entire married life, in ministry of some sort. But I remember a number of years ago when the Holy Spirit convicted me. I, I, I'm convinced that I had been forgiven. I, I'm convinced that I had been entirely sanctified. I, I, I'm convinced that I was walking in all that I knew. But the Holy Spirit challenged me at a new level. And I'm not trying to preach some new... Okay but a new level of saying to him, uh, I'm all yours. You know, some of us, in fact, I bump into this all the time, particularly when I'm working with ministers. They, they, build, this, they build this safety net around their life. You know, I have to have this, whatever it is, whatever is your safety net, certain amount of money in the bank, or I have to be certain few miles from my family, or I... I have to be in a certain part of the country because that's where I'm comfortable. I want to tell you something. God wants to take you past your comfort zone and show you what real life is like. Yes. <laughs> you all still here? Amen. It's amazing what's happened in our lives. I don't have time to tell you, but we went from a very provincial life. I remember, I remember in the midst of this battle, I, was, I felt like the Lord was challenging us to make a move. Not a physical move, but a 
a move in our lives, a change in our lives. And the enemy was saying, if you do that, you'll never preach another day of your life. And I battled and battled and battled with that because that's all I knew to do for one thing. But we did. And in two months, I preached more days. I preached more times in that month than there were days in the month. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, I can take care of that if you'll let me. I can put you in a place doing things you never imagined you'd get to do. And the neat thing is, it fits us. What God's doing in our lives still, what he's doing in our lives fits us perfectly. We couldn't have orchestrated what God's done in our lives. I, we're not smart enough to, but he is. And when we gave him everything, he took what bits we had and put them together and has given us an incredible, incredible life. A few years ago, we, we, told, we committed to ourselves, we're going to start telling our kids what God's doing for us. And I, again, I don't have time tonight to get into all of that, but about four years ago, we went through another interesting change, and it was just beautiful to watch. We'd come right up to a crisis, and God would be there and would have already worked the details of that out. And we started calling the kids and saying, this is what God's doing. Some of you as parents need to tell your, your children what God's been doing in your life, by the way. Full surrender puts you in the place where God can use you in a way that blesses who you are and glorifies his kingdom. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute. Look at me. I'm, I, I either don't have hair or it's gone, gray. And I can't live on the edge anymore like I would have. You still can there are still people in your life. You still stop by Walmart or the donut shop. Are you all still here? There are still people God wants to touch through your life if you give him the whole thing. I'm not, I'm not pressing you tonight to uh, a new experience of some sort. I'm pressing you to understand that if I'm going to be, if I'm going to imitate Christ, then I do that humbly and obediently with a full surrender to him. If I'm to imitate Christ, not only am I, have I lost my preoccupation with myself, but there's a new focus in my life, and that's others. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to find a way to care about others. Notice again, and, and the, the scripture is full of this. In Romans 15, Paul says, Christ did not please himself. And then he talks the reproaches. And then he talks about them being in harmony and in accord and working together to, to, void, to, to the glory of God. Again, in Philippians 3, let this mind in you which was also in Christ. And he was... He was made in the likeness of men, but he came, he came among us that he might pour himself out to us. He loves you. He loves the world around you. A preoccupation with, with otherness. Do you love others? You know, one of the ways you can me measure your, objectively measure your spiritual growth is how much do you care about people who are not, 
who are not right in the center of your life, particularly you. How much do I care? Do I care about the people who push me sideways? Do I care about the person in my life who, if I, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't live neighbors to them? How much do I care about others? Christ cared so much about others that he gave himself for us. He invested, he invested in our lives. Let me tell you a quick story. One of, the, one of the reasons many Christians, new Christians, don't continue is because somebody hasn't figured out that they need to invest at a new level. We saw a fellow converted when we were pastoring in Canada, uh, um, quite a dramatic change of life. He'd been in alcohol and drugs and his family was broken. His, his, he, had, he has two daughters. He, his daughters told him, Dad, we hate you. Just get out of our life. We don't ever want to see you again. But the Holy Spirit convicted him, and he found Christ. And he'd been in alcoholism, deep in alcoholism. And uh, he, started, he started coming to church, and then he started coming by the house. And... Uh, it's too long to tell the whole story tonight, but the short story is for, for plus two years, if Melvin and I and our son Daniel wanted to have dinner together, we had to leave before he got there. Because he'd show up, he got off work about 4.30, it was about a five minute drive to our house and he'd ring the bell. And he'd come in, big guy, six foot eight, 300 pounds, liked to eat, really liked to eat, liked to talk. He needed to talk because, you see, he'd spent the last plus 20 years in the bar every night talking with his buddies. And now he's a Christian, and he knows if he goes back to that bar, he's going to be in trouble. And he, he needs somebody that can be available. And we were available. And almost every evening of the week, he was in our home at least for an hour and sometimes till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. You say, I wouldn't do that. Well, we did, and it changed his life. Tonight, while I'm preaching to you, he's a lay leader in a congregation in southern Ontario because somebody was willing to sacrifice to invest in someone else. Now, you're not going to have that same opportunity, so relax. You don't have to... Lock your door every afternoon. Somebody's going to show up and want to eat T-bone. But there's going to be somebody God puts in your life that needs your attention. Yes. A phone call, a text, an email. Drop by and say, how you doing? If I'm going to imitate Christ, I have to open my life up to someone else, to others. I've spent my entire life, I've mentioned that, my entire adult life in ministry, and I've watched people who close their lives. They've got hurt somewhere, or there's been a disappointment somewhere, and they close their lives up. And they say, I'm not going to ever suffer like that again. And all you're doing is damaging yourself. The most exciting place to live is right on the edge, living with someone else, watching what God's doing in their lives. 
calls us to invest in others. If I'm to imitate him, uh, go hunt somebody that needs a friend. One final thing in closing, and that is, if I'm going to follow Christ, then that I must understand the, the preeminence of the first things and that uh, there are some things that matter much more in my life than others. Godliness, righteousness, truth matters. Whatever I have to do, whatever I have to do to have the word of God speaking to me and through me, I have to do that. I'm pastoring a man who cannot read. Can't read at all. He can find the songbook numbers, but he can't read the songs. But I have said to him repeatedly, Dino, you can, you can listen to scripture every day. On, just click it on your phone and it'll come up and you can listen. You've got to get into the word because first things matter. Yes. In all of Christ's ministry, he brought people back, repeatedly brought them back to what really matters. Are you living for what really matters? It's easy for us. It really is easy for us to get wrapped up in stuff that doesn't matter. But notice the closing, notice the closing verse of this chapter again, if you will, as we, as we close. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The word beholding and being changed are connected. They are related. The glory of Christ, which we see and behold and through which we are being changed, increases through the ministry of the Spirit living in us and through us. It begins in redemption or conversion. It's made full in what we call entire sanctification. But we grow. We continue to grow from glory to glory, from times when God meets with us in a special way. We need those occasionally. The other day, as I was doing some study, suddenly something that I should have known 40 years ago dawned on me. And as I saw it, I thought, Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping me see that. And an area of my life now there wasn't any problem with it before. But now I see the moorings of the Spirit leading me in understanding that's glory to glory. As, as we live in His presence, we are being changed. If you think getting entirely sanctified is all there was to you, you've got a new world to live in. That's just the beginning. He's calling us to live filled with his presence, full of him. They sang to us about surrender again. It's not, it's not surrender in the sense that I'm being destroyed. It's surrender in the sense that God is using me to glorify himself and to bless my life. The most exciting place to live <laughs> is on the cusp of God's will because it's there that he shows you who he is in a new way, in a fresh way. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm pastoring. I really am regretting being here in the morning. And here's why. The, past, the little church that I'm pastoring, for years, 
10, 12 people, the same folk every Sunday until last December. One of the guys in the church has rent houses and he had a new couple move in, rent a house from him. And, and as they were getting making the business, he said to them, uh, where do you go to church? Now, if you saw them, you wouldn't have any idea that they even knew what church was. But he asked them, where do you go to church? And they said, well, we're, we're looking for a place to go. We've, we've gone to two or three, but we don't feel welcome there. And he said, uh, come to church with me Sunday. And then he called me and said, we've got some new people coming. I said, great. He said, wait a minute, Pastor. He's got tattoos everywhere their skin. Oh, I said, that's even better. Now, listen to me. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you understand me. Where, 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 where ought to tattooed people be but at church? Hello? And so they came. And uh, yeah. Kyle's been in prison 12 years, gotten out. God's working in his life. He's, he's a believer. Amber doesn't know hardly anything about church. So we're coming up to New Year's now. It's right after Christmas, and it's almost New Year's. And I said to my wife, we're going to do something New Year's Eve. I'm not letting that young couple go on the street on New Year's Eve. We're going to, we're all old folk. 70s and 80s, a few 60s, <laughs> and the core people. I said, I haven't asked anybody, but we're going to have something New Year's Eve. We're going to have a snack and games. We're going to do something. <laughs> and so I didn't ask. I just announced it. And wow, I was surprised. All these old folk wanted to come too. They didn't play games, but they wanted to eat. <laughs> and so Kyle and Amber and Melvin and I sat around and played board games. And they enjoyed it. And a few Sundays later, they brought, Amber brought Rachel and her partner. In fact, my friend called me again. He said, we're going to have guests Sunday. I said, good. He said, wait a minute. Um, she's a lesbian. What are you going to do with that, pastor? And I said, we're going to welcome her. She needs Jesus. She came. They came. About two Sundays later, her mother and aunt came. About two Sundays later, they brought four or five children. You know, one of the fun things to preach new people is they don't know how to just sit on their hands. They're up, waving and crying. And it's fun. Two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, we had another brand new man came. That's not me. Let me tell you, it's not me. What it is is a community of people who are living on the edge and are saying, we're willing to take a chance to embrace people every Sunday morning. Rachel, that girl, gives me a huge hug and says, oh, Pastor Thank you for letting us be family. They're hungry. They're dying on the inside. And the Lord says, 
I want you to imitate me and show them what love looks like. I want you to sacrifice and show them what it means to live filled with Christ. Oh, church, let us, I know it doesn't all work the same place every place. I understand that. But uh, let's imitate him to a broken world. Tonight when we leave and go to the hotel, the lady at the desk is going to say, wow, you look nice. Where have you been? And we're going to say to her, in fact, I already did last night. We're, we're having services at Jernigan Memorial Nazarene Church on Hammond. Come. I hope she does. Because whatever else is going on in her life, she still needs a community of faith. God wants us to model him, to show the world. And as we model him, he's transforming us. What a privilege. Let's stand together. Can we sing?